1: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody? Hope all of you are having a great time, whatever you're doing today or evening, whenever you're listening or watching the podcast Believe in Hub of Champions with your host, Shook Rewrites. Today, is some, I'm having someone that's not a stranger. Many of you who have followed the Sugar Rewrites podcast from the beginning May remember this guest, Danny Vietti. He was last on the podcast, on my personal podcast, three years ago at the height of the pandemic. As we were talking about prior to the start of the recording, it feels like it's been fifteen years. He's up to up to some um, amazing things now. He does great work with CBS Sports and as well as um, the host of the Wake and Rake podcast as well. Check it out also on Believe. Danny, what's going on, man? How how are you doing this baseball season and in life in general these days?
0: Yeah, I was just telling you before we jumped on air, I needed to get a fresh cut today because there's gray <laughs> hair on the sides. The last time we talked, I don't think I had gray hair on the sides of my head. Now I need to get a haircut every two weeks. Wow. Starts to get showing. So um, <laughs> one, I appreciate you having me back on the pod too. Yeah. We've aged a bit since we y- last.
1: Yeah, it's. I didn't have gray in my beard at all. I mean, I, I I'm blaming the pandemic in life, life post pandemic, that's give that's given us a few grays. I mean, you, you could have had a little salt and pepper, like, but but then it's gonna be we, ju- we kind of like ginger and pepper, sort of sort of, in a way.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know I'm, what's funny? You yeah. my uh, my wife made a ju- my wife's really into juicing right now, so she made this new juice today with ginger. I didn't realize how spicy that ginger. Oh ginger yeah, is. You. you know you. Ha- I've had it with my sushi before, but like very lightly. But that'll that hits you. That it's hits you. Kick. It gets you out of nowhere. <laughs> we're,
1: getting, got, we're, we're getting got,
0: crazy on this episode.
1: Seriously, it's listen. Like I, I used to drink ginger juice a lot because my dad would also was also huge into juicing. He would juice that with carrots and stuff when I was younger. Something I should I could definitely use these days, and it's like, yo, hey, it's got a bit of a kick. I typically would have like ginger sauce, like from having like chicken wings or like or like maybe some teriyaki a little bit. But I'll, other than I don't really have ginger often, but ginger, ginger is awesome. I mean, look at us—we're we're on a sports podcast, and we're talking about ginger. That's the best. I mean, ginger. And, yeah, it's great stuff. Like, give it a try if you haven't sometime. But one thing that we both don't have to try, unless you are a complete sucker for disappointment and pain. Is if you are a Red Sox fan, this Red Sox season so far has been a a dud. That's probably putting it very mildly because they're hovering around five hundred right now. And and part of the reason why I wanted to have you on the pod, Danny, was because I wanted to talk baseball. You know, I've done a lot of. Celtics, Bruins, for obvious reasons. Um, But the Red Sox, they've been neglected a little bit. So I thought today would be a good opportunity to talk about the Red Sox. And the first thing I want to touch on is overall thoughts on the 2023 Red Sox so far. What has stood out to you? What has surprised you? And does any of what you've seen or heard of so far... As it pertains to the Red Sox, surprise you.
0: I want to answer the first part that you hit on in that sure. the start of the season was rough. And I hate making excuses for anybody because these are professional athletes and there are no excuses. Yeah. You win and lose. That that That's it. That's the end of the book. Oh, yeah. But the first week at Fenway Park, when they played the Orioles and the Pirates, the wind mm. was howling. Out to the outfield. Oh,
1: I remember. Mm-hmm.
0: And keep in mind, it's howling out to the outfields for both teams. It's not like one team has an unfair advantage here. But Brian Reynolds hit like three home runs or four it was home Babe runs. Ruth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, he's question <laughs> balls. Um, yeah. the Orioles, Adley Rushman, game one went, I think it was five for five on opening day. Yes offense was Fenway Park turned into you know Great American Small Park for for a week yeah. <laughs> and so I hate making these excuses but when you look at the numbers the Red Sox bullpen in the last week and a half has all of a sudden leveled out like the, the law of yeah. averages coming back together so with Kenley Jansen man in the end of that back of the bullpen which is what they really needed they needed a consistent closer so then they could set the rest of their bullpen up for bridge guys in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings, or going into the ninth inning, so I think it was a little unfair to overreact to what the Red Sox had at the start of the season, just because of all the elements, all the moving pieces. You have a new third baseman, Justin Turner. Kiki Hernandez was not expected to be a starting shortstop this year until spring yeah. training started. He's struggling defensively. A lot of moving parts, and then to put that together with the atmospheric, you know, element that was happening the first week of the season. I think it's coming back to the law of averages right now. So, no need to panic if you're a Red Sox fan. At least that's the way I'm thinking right now. Mm. There's some talent. The offense is starting to get going a little bit. And uh, it's going to be a tough division, one through five in the American League. That's the toughest part about it.
1: Absolutely. It's only tougher because the Rays are on a pace that I want to say it's unbelievable, but it's pretty damn historic. I mean (laughs) – when you're when you start in the season, as well as sorry, as well as like as you can remember in recent memory, they are the last time I checked, they were like twenty and three or something along along those lines, like twenty and four. Um, it is it, you're starting the way that the Red Sox started. Of course, you're going to be on behind the a ball, but I will also add to that. You talk about the division, and we know. That this is the division now with the new playoff format, you have three wild cards. And I look at this division, obviously the Rays are the kings of the division as of right now. Um, the, the, uh, the Blue Jays, that are, I think they are definitely going to be contenders. The Yankees are going to be the Yankees. I mentioned on a previous podcast with Casey Stern, that I had a funny feeling about Baltimore, but Baltimore pitching is absolutely atrocious. That leaves us with the Red Sox now. Is there a way that the Red Sox could still make the postseason? Is it possible, given what we have seen so far, and obviously you still got the trade deadline coming up um, later in the season, but do you foresee a scenario that the Red Sox uh, make the postseason with this format?
0: If Chris Sale can stay healthy and be the Chris Sale that we all know and love, uh, yeah, that's really the X factor for me. Because we can talk about your Nick Pavetta, your Corey Kluber's. You need an ace in that rotation to be able to pitch 200 innings. And and keep in mind, Chris Sale is probably not going to pitch over 200 yeah. this year just because of his recent hin- injury history. Mm-hmm. But if he can, you know, get 25 to 30 starts, be the ace that the Red Sox need. We just talked about the bullpen success that that they're having right now. I think they have the offensive elements. Um when you take into account that the fact that Verdugo's crushing baseballs right now, yeah. um the fact that you have Justin Turner's hitting the ball well um early on, they're gonna mix and match and kind of do what uh what Kim Bloom does best, and that's yeah. be a matchup nightmare for mm-hmm. platooning, etc. etc. So I think the offense is going to be there. The bullpen is showing progress. I think right now the big missing piece is having an ace. And Chris Sale, his first couple starts, didn't look great. And frankly, his entire tenure, at least since the 2019 World Series, with the Red Sox has not been great. So I think if anybody needs, not necessarily a breakout year, he's beyond that, but needs a comeback year, it would be yeah. Chris Sale. Because that's what the Red Sox need. They need an ace to be able to take the hill every fifth start. Because right now... Corey Kluber, when you consider his injury history and his age, uh, maybe not as reliable as as you would like. Nick mm-hmm. Pavetta, you know, it's kind of a coin flip at times. Chris Sale is what the Red Sox need. They have enough offense. It's really Chris Sale that they need.
1: Like Chris Sale, and I've said this on record on on different platforms, where I feel as if that the contract was a little too premature, and that given the injury history, and that was a concern even when he signed that extension um, after the 2018 uh, championship season, that are you going to give this amount of money to a player that hasn't been able to give you 200 solid innings, especially since he arrived in Boston? And, I mean, we obviously know, like, the answer to that since then, especially with the injury history and so forth, which brings me to the next point about Garrett Whitlock. Because I find him to be a, a real fascinating point of intrigue. He was dominant as a reliever. The Red Sox have seen him, or foresee him as being a a legitimate big league starter. Danny, like, where do you where do you see um where do you see Garrett Whitlock as, be, as being the best fit? Do you still believe that he still belongs as as part of the bullpen equation that, as you mentioned, has evened out nicely. Or do you believe that he could succeed as a starter and be of an important piece for this Red Sox rotation? I
0: had this conversation a lot with my uh my co-host on my own podcast with Middlebrooks, who does the pre- and post game for, for the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. Um he tends to believe that he loves when Whitlock is in the bullpen, similar with guys like Tanner Howick, because yeah. that typically means that your starting rotation is so set and so stacked that you can bump very good arms into the bullpen when you're bumping Whitlock and how to the bullpen, that means that you have so much depth in the starting rotation that you're bumping really good talent to the bullpen. That, that means it's a good problem to have, yeah. right? Like it's, ha- it's like having too many good hitters. You don't know where to slot them into the lineup. You're having <laughs> like kind of similar with the St. Louis Cardinals have. They have so many good hitters in their lineup. They don't even know where to put guys. So, I think it just depends on where you're at as a rotation right now with the rotation as is, I think you'd like to see what Whitlock has as a starter. You try and figure out, you know, what kind of stuff works best against certain hitters. Is he better against righties? Is he better against lefties? You kind of fiddle out the, you know, uh, go through the weeds, figure out, you know uh, where he's best find, Mm -hmm. And then put him in the best position to where he can succeed the best for his team uh, down the stretch run. So I know that's not the, Clear cut answer I have for you, but I think right now they're trying to figure out who he is and where he fits best.
1: No, and, and that's and that's 100 understandable because even right now, let's say I put up the mirror and I pose that same question to me. I I would say I like him in the bullpen. He is dominant. He's that dominant reliever that that the Red Sox need in that bullpen that 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 you could also turn to as a reliable source that isn't a Ryan Brazier and Ryan Brazier. I, I think he's been a, a, a little inconsistent um, so far this season. And, and I'm, I'm just grateful that the Red Sox went out and they got on um, Kenley Jansen because that was my number one criticism of the team last year. They didn't have a legitimate closer. You relied on a guy like Matt Barnes, who's no longer with the Red Sox, to be a closer. And the results were, the results were poor. Let's just be let's just be, be, be very honest. So, when they decided that they were going to put Garrett Woodlock in the rotation, it got me thinking. Like, okay, hmm, if they are going to do that, how will it impact the rest of the bullpen in terms of who pitches the sixth or the seventh or the eighth innings? And, and now I look at this Red Sox rotation, and I want to get your thoughts on this on oh, the Red Sox bullpen. That is. I do question in front of the in front of Kenny Jansen. Do you believe that the guys have like a like a set defined role that they can roll with all, through the regular season, or do you think that this is still some sort of a like let let's uh, wait and see in progress type of deal?
0: Let me pull up their their depth chart here and let me yeah absolutely because I don't want to answer this with uh, oh I think they're doing X Y Z. I actually want to figure out because really Middlebrooks is my Red Sox go-to when it comes to uh, expertise here. And so I get a lot of my information from him, but, Mm. and Will would admit this, uh, he tends to be a little biased sometimes. And so he'll, (laughs) I mean, he'll be the first to admit it though. I mean, he's surrounded by these guys on a day-to-day basis, you know, like he's critical of them, which is good. That's his role as pre and post game as he should be, but um, it's, hard to be objective when you have a personal relationship with guys and that's for that's for sure absolutely um, so kenley in the back you mentioned brazier brazier is definitely struggling six seven five era yeah. through 13 games so that that's not going to get it done we did talk about the elements the first week and a half of the season at fenway park that mm-hmm. probably didn't help him um cutter crawford has shown some some good stuff he's kind of like your hybrid guy like he, he can pitch as a starter can pitch in the bullpen uh Brooksy mentions me, uh, Brian. I, I, I'm probably gonna pronounce this wrong, but Brian Bale. Brian Bale, yeah. He struggled on the mound as a starter. Brooksy told me this. He said, Brian Bale's stuff is reminiscent of Pedro Martinez. And I said, Brooksy, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, that's a,
1: that's a wild comparison. And we know Pedro is a Hall of Famer.
0: I said, That's hefty. I said, We gotta slow down here a little bit. And then he told me, Go look at his film. And so I went, looked at his you know, minor league film. And he, he does possess stuff that, um, Definitely hasn't gotten the same results, obviously, as Pedro Martinez. But the the changeup and the swing and miss changeup that he possesses to go along with that wipeout slider, and in his fastball, once he, as long as he's throwing it in his arm slot that he wants to, because there was a time where when Bayo tried going over the top to try and be like a lot of like the other starters with high mm-hmm. spin rates. That's not who he is. What he's best at doing is getting movement, very similar to like a Logan Webb for the San Francisco Giants, yeah. missing barrels. That's what Bayo does well so if they have it kind of goes back to the conversation with whitlock if they can get enough depth in their rotation i'm curious what brian bay would look like in the bullpen as a guy because he's a guy that can throw up mid to upper 90s with movement and he's got that changeup to go along with it that's really the if we're going to really open a can of worms here it's really can the red sox stay healthy because the more healthy they are the yeah. more they can slot guys in to successful spots, and that doesn't go just for the pitching staff. That's offensively. That's bullpen. That's defensively. That's what the Red Sox do. That's why they had so much success um, mm-hmm. in that magical was it 2019 season. 20 uh, 20. Even after that, yeah. when when Hein Bloom took over. Oh, 2021. Uh, yeah, 21. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. So uh when Hein Bloom first took over, that's what they did. Like they were able to slot guys and platoon guys. Yep. But you need to be healthy to be able to do that. That's what the Red Sox have to do. And unfortunately, it's not always in their control.
1: And the health aspect has been a major, major, major factor um, this, this season. And, and the people that I, I had the opportunity to have the conversation with about the Red Sox. And and even as a pure baseball fan, I'm just like, there's a lot of ifs with this team. And I don't know if you could survive a season in terms of being a playoff team with the amount of what ifs the Red Sox have. And what my my what-ifs on prior to the start of the season, and we're almost a full month into the season, but we're not quite there just yet, was health of the rotation. What what was the status of Christell going to be? Even as of right now, the Red Sox are still holding their breaths on James Paxton. There's no definitive like way of knowing when and if he's even gonna go and return at, at any given point but last one, what I was reading in The Athletic was that his stuff is still there. He's still got his fastball. That's not the problem. It's just being able to spot his pitches. So, and that's, and that's definitely something that leaves me um, for, for pause for concern. Even when he does come back, is he another guy? And as you mentioned, if the rotation is healthy and, and, and everybody knows like their roles, is this another arm that can come out of the Red Sox bullpen? And also... When I when I think about the the twenty twenty three Red Sox so far, there is one one aspect that I do help I can't help but think about, and that is specifically Rafael Devers. Rafael Devers was who, who signed to a, a long term contract after the Red Sox did not bring back um, did not bring back Xander Bogarts as he went to sign an eleven year deal with the San Diego Padres. I mean, but Bogarts right now is killing it in San, San Diego. <laughs> and what are your thoughts on Rafael Devers as now he is the undoubted face of the franchise for the Boston Red Sox? And do you agree with the decision by Heim Bloom and Red Sox front office not to um, bring back Xander um, Bogarts at the price that he was certainly getting on the open market?
0: Talked to a lot of people about the Xander Bogart situation on both sides, the San Diego side and the Boston side. Mm -hmm. Um, From what I understand, there is no possible way that the Red Sox were going to go that far contract wise when it came to Bogarts, because Bogarts is going to be 41 years old when his contract with San Diego is concluded. So from the Red Sox perspective, They're trying to pay guys for their youth. And that's also, in in that same token, that's what Mm -hmm. they did with Devers. So Devers, when his extension ends with the Red Sox, he's only still going to be 37 years old. Now, to compare that to guys like Aaron Judge, uh, we talked about Xander, Trey Turner, all those guys are going to be creeping up on 40 when their contracts end. Yeah, Devers is going to be 37. And so that's typically, as an organization, when you want your contracts to... Start seeing lie at the end of the tunnel type thing because typically that's when your primes decline. You don't yep. want to get stuck with the Albert Pujols contract that the Angels were handcuffed with for 10 years and ended yep. up releasing him before his contract ended. Similarly, with Justin Upton, with the Angels, I think the, the Angels situation scared a lot of organizations mm. into completely investing in low 30s guys for 10 plus years it scared the the Atlanta Braves from going too heavy with Freddie Freeman similarly he signed you know, a similar you know. contract with the Dodgers that the Braves offered him um you know that that maybe that's another conversation for another day but I think teams were scared to get caught in the same position as the Angels did especially the high analytical guys like Hein Bloom Farhan Zaidi in San Francisco has struck out mm-hmm. on free agents in recent years Aaron judge Harper um Bauer Etc. I think teams are scared to be in the an angels position because now the angels have the longest playoff drought, um, in major league baseball. And a lot of that is because of the contracts that have handcuffed them in recent years. So I love the signing of Devers because of the youth that's going to be on his side as that contract continues. And I, I, I don't, the problem with the Bogarts thing in short is they should have extended them before last season. That was their best opportunity to sign yeah. before other teams got involved. That was their opportunity they missed their opportunity. They let him go to the open market, and they allowed other teams to get involved. That that's where that got sour.
1: And that's and that's a great point because you you talk you mentioned about the Angels in terms of like the contracts that they gave out the lengthy ones to Alba Pujols, like the ten year deal, which which really became an albatross after year number one. Um, another player that comes to mind for me in terms of what the in terms of the mistake that the Angels made. Remember when they signed Josh Hamilton? Like oh, yeah. sh- like shortly shortly after he had his MVP season, I think in, in twenty ten with 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 the Texas Rangers, um, and I think they signed him after the twenty twelve season. If, if, if I remember correctly, but
0: CJ Wilson is another like guy. CJ Wilson, thank
1: time. you, thank you. Oh gosh, oh my, that oh, it's bad. You thought yeah. you thought that was going to be the, the that was going to put the Angels over the top and it was going to put make them con- like contenders, and it turned out to
0: be nah. <laughs> No, not so and he, fast. And, and with Otani becoming a free agent, now they're kind of like, well, we haven't had a whole lot of success signing. Mm-hmm. Otani's like a legend. Like, well, I'm not trying to compare. He's already a legend.
1: People. Yeah, you can say that
0: for <laughs> sure. But, but I'm not trying to like compare him to your C.J. Wilsons and Josh Hamiltons. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, but they just haven't had good success. Anthony Rendon, his contract is looking atrocious right now. Oh. So the Angels just have not had success in the free agent they haven't had success period in anything they're yeah. from what i understand they don't treat their minor leagues as fairly as they should their minor leaguers uh, apparently the conditions and is not great with their minor leaguers they haven't had success at the big league level they haven't done that on the free agent market and they haven't done it in the draft you got to be able to be good at one of those things and the angels haven't done it so it's no surprise other than them having the two best players in major league baseball it's really no surprise why the angels don't have more success than they than they have
1: and you know what's you know what's interesting? Like I want to pivot from from Red Sox to Major League Baseball because a lot of the conversations that I've that I've listened to on a national level, because at because at the core, even though everybody knows knows I'm a dollar Yankee fan, but baseball is my heart and soul. And even when we when we we last spoke on the podcast um, three three years ago, like baseball clearly our, our thing. The thing that stood out to me was the way that these massive contracts were being handed out because I can't help but to think I think back to, let's say, 2011. These 10-year contracts were being handed out like candy. And let's go back to even as recent as 2014-ish or 15. Like, before before the offseason... That was really the last time that I noticed a 10-year contract was being handed out say, hey, you know what? Here's a 10-year deal. You, you've earned it. I'm thinking of the, the Mike Trout contract with the Angels. Mm-hmm. And, and in that same breath, now we fast forward. I think this is the most critical time for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim because I've talked about this openly, but it is truly one of the greatest tragedies in pro sports that you've wasted Mike Trout's prime years. He's going to be 32, ladies and gentlemen, come July, come August, to be exact. And he's only has had one postseason appearance in three games in grand total. Shohei Otani, who is the modern-day Babe Ruth, has not played a single game in the postseason. And I say all of this because I can't even begin to imagine the pressure that there is got to be on that Angels organization that has not tasted postseason success in, in 10 years now. You have two of the best players of this generation on the same team, and you've had absolutely no success. And I mean, literally no success to that. So Danny... Do you foresee a a scenario that if the Angels are out of contention by the All-Star break come July, that Otani says, you know what, trade me? Do you see that happening? Do you see that even being a a realm of possibility?
0: Oh, yeah. I'd say if the Angels are out of contention come trade deadline time, he's as good as gone. Uh, Wilson Contreras with the Cubs last year, the Cubs opted Mm -hmm. not to trade him at the deadline. Now, you do because – Of the way that uh their arbitration and the new deal works, you get a supplemental draft pick if you don't trade um otani, but that's you're gonna get prospects back. That's 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 worth more than a supplemental draft pick. I thought the Cubs made a huge mistake not trading Wilson Contreras this last year, and then he ended up signing with their arch rival Cardinals. St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think he's he's as good as gone. He wants to win, that's why he came over here and Right now, the Dodgers, who did not spend money this past offseason, which was alarming because when you consider that the Dodgers have had the highest payroll in Major League Baseball each of the past, I think, four or five Five, years. Yep, yes. And so all of a sudden, they decide, no, we're not going to spend money. And actually, we're going to let Trey Turner go. And actually, Justin Turner, you can go too. And Bellinger, we don't want to pay you either. So they lost three key starters. And then you take into account, too, Gavin Lux got injured. Walker Bueller was injured. The Dodgers are all of a sudden look like—I hate to use this term because they don't do this in LA, but it's almost like a retooling here. If you You know, you want to say
1: rebuild, but you're right—a retooling.
0: Yeah, like I didn't want to say rebuild just because, like, that's not what they do. But this is a different situation that the Dodgers are in. All of a sudden, they're they're uh, using much younger guys like Miguel Vargas in there. They're having to. They're putting Julio
1: Julio Urias is another example who was was who's who's the young ace of that pitching staff.
0: Right, yeah, exactly. So, um, they're just in a different spot this year, and mm-hmm. uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the one year we don't think the Dodgers are the favorites to in the World Series, they all of a sudden hoist. <laughs> that's just that's just the way baseball works. Um, yeah. But the Dodgers are in prime position to go after, you know, go after Otani in the sweepstakes. Steve Cohen is going to be giving Shohei Otani a blank oh, check. God. San Francisco Giants are going to be involved. I mentioned how the Giants have missed out on. Judge and Cole and, and all these other free Korea, they're going to be handing Otani a blank check. Um, there's going to be a long line at Otani's front door, and it's just going to be a matter of who is willing to spend upwards of five hundred million, maybe even close to six hundred million dollars for Otani. And to answer your question again, if the Angels are not in contention at the deadline, all indications are he is as good as gone.
1: I completely forgot about Steve Cohen and the Mets, and that's why I reacted the way I did. It was like, oh shit. Damn, that man who is richer than fucking Bill Gates. <laughs> like, I, I totally forgot. Like, oh, yeah, he's there. Like, hi. So how can I help you? And his wife was his wife is like, listen, uh, I want Shohei Ohtani. Give him a blank check. Take him to I'm from New York, born and raised. Take him to the most expensive Japanese restaurant in, in the city. Maybe Betty Hannah's or something. I don't know. And just struck a deal. That terrifies me because it's like there's, not, there's no one else that's going to spend the money the way that Steve Cohen will. And it has already proven that in two short years already as owner. Which is astounding when you begin to think about where the New York Mets once were under the Coupons, a.k.a. the Wilpons, and now with Steve Cohen. Now, as I, as I really begin to deliver the question and the point, I look at this Mets team, and I say to myself, it's early, and I know it's there's only, what, 25 games that's been played so far. But I look at Max Scherzer with an eye of concern, and the reason is because and I'm sure you know this. He got to spend it for ten games, for after he initially was checked and was warned allegedly about the the, the sticky the sticky stuff with the the rosin and washing his hands with the out, rubbing alcohol or whatever that was. And yet he still chose to do it again. And yet you are depending on him to deliver the goods. All the while, Justin Verlander is trying to work his way back from injury. This is a New York Mets team overall that has championship aspirations. So, Danny, is it fair to say that Max Scherzer has not gotten off to an ideal start with the New York Mets? Or am I just completely, like, just overblowing this whole thing?
0: No, that's absolutely fair. I I don't think it's all on Max here. I kind of compare the Mets and their strategy into making it into the postseason to the Los Angeles Clippers and their their uh, uh, what is it called? Not game management,
1: uh, load management,
0: load management. That's an you. interesting.
1: So, yeah, I like that. Yeah.
0: So they're basically when they had DeGrom and they had Scherzer; those are two guys. Scherzer's older, um, and then Degrom has the injury history. So they tried to kind of like welcome them back into the full. Both those guys. In just in time for the postseason. But uh, come postseason time, Scherzer was also dealing with some injury stuff, and he wasn't at his best. Mm -hmm. And then Grom wasn't quite himself either toward the last stretch of the year. And then similarly, this year, they opted to put uh, Justin Verlander on the injured list to start the year. And, And Scherzer has struggled a little bit. And basically what the Mets are doing, similar to the Clippers, is they're saying, look, we don't really care about how many wins we get in the regular season. We just want our guys ready. For the postseason and that's a great idea you know in a perfect world but if something goes wrong such as with Kawhi Leonard now all of a mm-hmm. sudden with knee injury that whole load management idea or that whole well don't worry about the regular season we just got to get into the dance if something goes wrong then all that's for not and so and I that's not
1: gonna up. fly in New York at all
0: No, not when you're making $40 million a year, which is Mm -hmm. what Max Scherzer is making. That guy's making $1.2 million per start. Now he's missing (laughs) 10 games. That, fortunately, the mets don't yeah and they don't have to i don't think they have to pay him during the suspension or else they would have lost two million dollars for two starts there so yep. um maybe the mets actually lucked out on that month <laughs> <laughs> not that steve cohen not that steve cohen uh cares about money that's true. exactly but, <laughs> it's not the start that the mets want and i don't think they care but maybe they should you know what i mean like maybe yeah. they should look at the clippers and be like we don't want to do the whole load management thing let's play out the games and see what happens so um i'm not Hitting the panic button on the Mets, um, but I, I just, I, I, they're not where everyone wants them to be. That I, I think that's fair to say.
1: I, I, I would agree with that. And in a season where that we have seen a lot transpire already across Major League Baseball, but none more bigger in my opinion than the change in in changing like the time of game and I thought that this topic would be the most befitting to end the end the podcast, which is we have a few minutes left. There was a lot that was made during tr- on spring training as to, well, would the pitch clock really work? And you saw the results almost instantly. It was a borderline on absolute defying of belief just how faster the games were going. I myself was... I was cynical at first. I was like, I'm not sure this is really going to be a long-term answer to what has been a long withstanding problem with Major League Baseball. But I could not have been more wrong. It has worked and then some. And not only that it has worked, but you're seeing games ending two hours and 15 minutes. An like instance um, already where there was a Red top game that ended in an hour and 57 minutes. And I'm like, in what universe? This is perfect. I can get in and get out.
0: Hell yeah!
1: Like, like and and so, so Danny, I just want to get your full thoughts on the changes in baseball from the pitch clock to now the larger bases that, that 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 you're seeing. Guys, take full advantage of that. What are your thoughts on the changes so far in 2023?
0: I'm surprised at how seamless the transition has been. I think a lot of people, myself included. That the first month was going to come with heavy kinks, and we've seen kinks like we saw in yeah. San Diego. Machado got ejected because he asked for timeout at the eight-second mark. Home plate umpire opted not to give Grant that timeout, and mm-hmm. Machado was given the automatic strike. Machado was upset. Machado got ejected. We've seen some some kinks. We, we've had something like Pete Alonso. I believe this was in spring training. He yeah. was taken off on a foul ball, and he was slow getting back to first base actually gave the hitter an automatic strike because Alonzo, who was on first base, didn't get back to his first base wow. in time. So we're seeing things that mm. maybe no one really predicted, and you can't predict everything in baseball, which makes yeah. this game so beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. But I think the players have transitioned seamlessly. Uh, for the most part, there's certainly been some examples, but overall, it's been pretty smooth. Nobody in Major League Baseball fan graphs is actually keeping track of how many violations there have been. There hasn't been a player in baseball that has more than three violations this year. So there's not like one player that's just really struggling, can't figure out, can't get this new tempo. Pretty much 100% of the players are figuring it out. We can talk about guys like Juan Soto who struggled early on, and he said he doesn't like the pitch clock. He can't play the mind games that he usually likes to have. Mm. But at this point, according to the ratings, according to the attendance, everything's up. So if a player decides like, "Ah, I don't, I just don't like these new rules. I don't know what I got to do. You better figure it out because everything is pointing in the right (laughs) direction. You know what I mean? Like adapt or die, you know? So this is going to stay fans like it. Most of the players seem to be good with it too. I I think 95% of the players are happy that they don't have to work three hours anymore. They only have have to work two and a half. So it's been a great transition. Fans seem to really enjoy it. And I think it's great for the game of baseball.
1: Last question now, we we talked about the pitch clock. I just wanna I want to get your thoughts on what you've seen from Max Muncy of the Dodgers. He's suddenly looked like a like an early season Barry Bonds out in Los Angeles.
0: He's leading the league in homers, and the funny thing about Muncy is he has this reputation of not swinging at many pitches. That's just what he does. Well, mm-hmm. the cool thing is he's leading baseball in, in homers, but he's also swinging at fewer pitches than anybody. So he has. You talk about his rate per swing. Yeah, It's like not even close head and shoulders above the next guy. He has 11 homers this year, leads the majors. He has a swing rate of around 40%, which is second lowest in baseball behind only Rowdy Tellez of the Brewers. So he's making the most of his swings. That That's a simple way to put it. Um, he's, he, he needed a bounce back season after the struggle that he had last year with the Dodgers. The Dodgers with like those guys that we already mentioned, oh, yeah. leaving for agency. They needed a a Max Muncy comeback season. So that's exactly what he's showing.
1: It's been an absolute blast. Uh, Danny Vietti of CBS Sports and as well as the Wake and Rake podcast on Believe. Danny, it's been a blast. Seriously. And thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast to talk baseball, which we haven't done in a while. It won't be another three years. That's for sure. This is the beginning of the season, but there will be a lot more to come. Danny, thank you so much for coming on, man.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, Shukri. Next time we talk, I'm going to have a full gray beard like down to the the chest. I can promise you that.
1: Yes, I bring it on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.